0: Good morning, my name is Jens Anderson, and I'm privileged today to get to share with you my story. Um, I could talk for a long time about all the things that God has done in my life, but uh, to save time, I'm going to try and stay on script this morning. I received Christ as my Savior when I was eight years old. I remember questioning my parents about the Lord's Supper, and they talked about the cup, and we did grape juice in, in the church that I grew up in. They explained how that represented Jesus' blood. And, and I remember to this day, kneeling in my parents' bedroom and, and Admitting to God that I was a sinner and that I couldn't do anything about my own salvation. And I remember asking him to come into my life. And and, uh, it was a neat experience, obviously. um, But that was a a key moment in my life. My dad and our pastor shortly thereafter baptized me. I believe that baptism is a representation. It's a testimony in and of itself to tell people that you have accepted Christ. and That you trust in him for your salvation. Um, My mom and dad had become parents at a young age. And because of that, they began working instead of going on to college. When I was going into about the fifth grade, I guess I was 10 years old, my dad decided that he would go back to school. He felt a call in the ministry. Um, They had been faithful in taking us to church, and he went back to school to become a pastor. And so we moved to Nebraska. We didn't have much. I had a loving family. We actually moved in with another family and lived in their basement through my middle school years. Um, We got food out of a food pantry, just like what our church, uh, our food pantry does for folks in our community. And so I understood what it was to, to not have much. As I grew older in middle school and high school, like some of the folks that we have here, I began to try and find my identity in other things, I wasn't really interested in being the pastor's son that all the jokes were about on Sunday mornings. I, I, I knew what that was. I knew what that, that life was, and I just wanted something different. And it was be- during that time, really, when I got into high school, where I began to push further and further away from God and more and more towards the world. I don't know if my parents ever really knew how far away I had pushed God in my life, but they knew that my lifestyle did not honor Him. I'll never forget as a young adult, Each time my mom would get off the phone with me, she would say, Jens, we love you, and we're praying for you. That meant so much. I knew that my parents earnestly prayed without condemnation. After completing my college classes, I moved to Houston, Texas, which was quite a bit larger than the town of 500 people that I'd grown up in central Kansas. Um, I began working in a high school that had almost 3,000 students. I lived with two of my college friends. I didn't have a car. Coming from not much, I didn't have much to my name, Uh, but I moved down with them. There were three of us living in a two-bedroom apartment uh, when we did our student teaching at Leaf Taylor High School. Once completing my student teaching, I was left trying to find a place by myself with no money, no car, and no job. I think at that point, God had me exactly where he wanted Fortunately, I had another friend that had moved to Katy, Texas, um, that I had worked with in college, and she invited me to attend Second Baptist Church in Katy. I accepted and eventually became part of a young uh, singles Bible study class that supported and encouraged me. But my life there in the beginning really was a fraud. I grew up in the church. I knew the right answers. I knew how to look the part. I knew how to answer the questions in Bible study. I knew how to act the part, but something was definitely missing. I turned to the Bible for a key to success, and I ran into what I now feel is my life verse, which is Proverbs 3.6, which says, "...in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight." I really did not turn to the Bible to find God. I turned to it to find some kind of magic potion that would give me success because I was at a point in life where I just didn't know the next step. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but God in his infinite grace and wisdom met me there. I recommitted my life to God and identified my life purpose to work with young people as a teacher and a coach that would demonstrate to them the knowledge that they didn't have to pursue what the world said was success. Guys, young people, it's empty. What you're taught, there's nothing to it. Those friends, the parties, the relationships, the popularity, it'll leave you empty because it left me empty. And I can guarantee the same thing for you. I even talked to one of my friends who was a youth pastor about possibly being a youth pastor. He said, Jens, don't do it. He said, I get kids twice a week if I'm lucky. If they actually show up at church, you get to be with them all week long. The amount of time you get to spend with those kids Is more than I will ever get to. See, in high school, I didn't have a group of Christian friends, and I didn't have an athletic program that really kept me grounded or even encouraged me uh, to be faithful to Christ. That's what I wanted to be for kids. That's what I want to develop. I eventually was married to my wife, Erin, in 2006, almost 13 years ago, this June. Um, In the beginning, we thought we were exactly the same, but the male and female version of each other. Both of our parents were pastors. Uh, We both loved sports. Um, but it didn't take long to figure out that we were very, very different. And God has used my marriage to change me in ways that I never would have changed on my own. Um, We have three kids, Denton, Elizabeth, and Caitlin, two of which have accepted Christ, and I have had the privilege to uh, baptize one here in this church last year. Two years ago, when I, I felt blessed to be given an opportunity to come and work for Elgin ISD as the athletic director and head football coach. And when I got here, a couple different people actually invited me to come and, and visit here, First Baptist in Elgin. And uh, I came that first week, and uh, I saw that the truth was taught. People were encouraging. The, the, the meet and greet reminded me a little bit of my own hometown, how we did things back then. Um, not not much longer after that, our family was able to actually come and visit and we knew this was the place for us. Um, again, finding the truth taught out of the Bible, which you don't find in all places with a caring new Bible study class and a caring new congregation. I don't know all of your stories. Maybe you were like my parents who had a son that was running from God. If that's you, keep praying. Maybe you were like the people that invited me. You meet people every day that you don't know and you don't know where they're at. If that's you, keep inviting. Maybe you're a young person that's trying to figure out what your identity is. You've heard about church. Your parents have brought you here for years. But you have to make your faith your own. I promise you this world will leave you absolutely empty. Maybe you're like I was, sitting in church, knowing all the right answers, knowing what to say, how to look, and how to dress, but nowhere close to a relationship with God. I could promise you that whatever sin it is that you think is holding you from God, whatever sin it is that you think is unforgivable, he's waiting patiently with open arms, with grace, with mercy, and nail-scarred hands to forgive you and take you in. Your life won't automatically be easy, but I can promise you this. He will give you purpose. And the emptiness that the world has left in your heart will begin to become filled with him. Thank you.
1: Children's Church, you can be dismissed. Can we give Coach Anderson another hand? Can we do that for him? I'm not jason if you don't like the sound of my voice i'm sorry you're getting a double whammy this morning uh no jason's taking a week for he's resting and he and his family uh, are you thankful for your pastor are you thankful for your pastor's family he comes in every sunday and i told him i was like you know the first service was great I said, but I've never had to preach the same message again within an hour, so we'll see how that goes. But, you know, he does that every Sunday uh, without failing. I appreciate having a pastor that preaches the word, as Coach Anderson said. All right, if you'll turn your Bibles to John chapter 10, we're going to jump in. We're going to read quite a few scriptures. Starting off in verse 1. Try to wait for the pages to stop turning. Want to make sure you're there. I'm gonna read from the New Living Translation this morning. It says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep and by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they do not know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration, didn't understand what he meant, which seemed to be a common theme for the people listening to Jesus. They never understood him at first. So he explained it for me. He said, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Here's another proclamation he makes. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again for this is what my father has commanded. Now let's skip down to verse 25. It says, Jesus replied, I have already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my father's name. But if you don't believe me because you are, it's because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Lord, we thank you for your word and for blessing us this morning with the opportunity to be here together. We ask God that our spiritual eyes and ears would be open to receive what you have. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you don't know, I'm the general manager of Chick-fil-A in Bastrop, and... We, we pride ourselves on customer service, right? Have you ever been to Chick-fil-A? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, one of the things that we do is that we've figured out that in, in order to have that customer service, have that experience every time someone news comes in is we have to develop people. So I can't have a managerial approach at my job. It can't just be I come in and tell them what to do. They do it. If they don't, they get in trouble. We want to take it a step further, and there's been a shift in leadership in the business culture where it's no longer a manager approach, but a leadership approach, where I want to mentor someone and help develop them to become better at what, who they already are. So we signed up with this course called Wild Sparks. It's this company that has gathered leadership content, and they put it into a monthly format that gets sent out to us every month. And I didn't even realize it uh, until I was getting ready for today, studying this week, that when we started this series, This Is My Story, they actually, that month's content was the impact of your story. Now, this is coming from a non-Christian point of view, and they're sharing how powerful it is for a leader of any organization to be able to share their story, because it takes you past just being a manager, and then you become personable, right? You can connect with that person on a level that they're not used to. And that happens in the business world. I mean, we've all worked for that manager that doesn't care, that's there to get a paycheck and he tells us what to do and tells us what not to do and we don't feel that connection we don't feel like he cares about us we've even had that in the church i've 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 been part of a church where i felt that the the preacher was like the perfect man and we somehow as humans we want to he gets up and he preaches the pure and undefiled word right and then we somehow start attaching what he's saying to him and saying okay he's the perfect man but we know And Jason does a really good job at this, and that's one of the things I appreciate. He opens himself and shows, hey, I'm a man just like you, and here's things that I struggle with, and we can get through this together. And the cool thing is this is what Jesus does. Jesus actually uses story mode. Y'all have heard parables. Jesus uses that in this chapter to show what a leader is supposed to be, how you're you're supposed to share things. And he shows that in this, verse 7, the first thing that he says is, I am the gate. I am the gate. He's making reference to the Old Testament, but he's telling them, I am the gate. And, and if you think about it, in their culture, the, the, most of the Jews, a lot of them were shepherds. And so at the end of the day, they would come in the, this courtyard area, and they would have a place where all the sheep gathered. They would put them inside this rock wall and on the top. Some of them said they had, you know, briars. They would write briars on the top so the sheep wouldn't jump the fence and so somebody else wouldn't jump the fence. And then they had a gate. The pen would lock. They'd hire somebody to stand at the door. And then in the mornings when the, sheep would, when the shepherds would get ready to go back to the pastures, the shepherd would come and open the gate and he would speak and call his sheep and they would know him by his voice. And they would follow him out to the pastures. They wouldn't follow the other shepherds because they were not used to his voice. So when the shepherd would come and say, hey, it's time to go. I don't know how he did it, but I'm not going to try uh, to act like they did. But, you know, he'd come out and starts calling them by name. They say that even some of the shepherds would nickname their sheep. And it shows this illustration that as the shepherd, they were not a hired hand. They were not someone there just doing a job. They cared about the well-being of their sheep. Jesus said, I am the gate. The only way that you pass through to the happy life and the fulfilled life is coming through me. Amen? The second one, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Why would Jesus not say he's just the shepherd? He made a distinction to say, I am the good shepherd. That word good is the same translation that's used when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he tells him, why do you call me good? There's none good but the father. That's the same translation. It basically means he's the perfect shepherd. The perfect shepherd. What does the perfect shepherd mean? In verse 14, this is a perfect shepherd. The picture that Jesus draws. Number one, he says, I know my sheep. Not an acquaintance. Not like I I know some of y'all, I recognize some of your faces, but we don't know each other really on a personal level. But Jesus knows his sheep. As a matter of fact, when he called his disciples, a lot of them, he called them by name. Peter. Andrew, he called a lot of these guys by their name. When he stepped out of the tomb, the, the the first lady to meet him, he called her by name and then she knew it was him. He had a personal touch with each of his sheep. In verse 15, he said, I laid down my life for my sheep. I laid down my life for my sheep. It's not a hired hand. This isn't someone, you know, if I'm, if I'm hired to do a job, I'm going you know, to do my job and get my paycheck. But when the wolves come, if you're hired, you're going to be the first one running, right? I'm not, I'm not putting my life on the line. I'm just here to get a paycheck. Jesus says, hey, no, I, I go further than that. I'll lay my life down on the line for my sheep. And verse 16, this is one of the most powerful things that Jesus does. He says, I bring more to the fold. I bring more to the fold. You can't think, you can't help but think when you think of a, a shepherd. When Jesus is using this illustration, you can't help but think of Psalms 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Because he's with me, his rod and his staff comforts me. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemy. He anoints my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David is giving that illustration. Why? Because David was a shepherd. He was a great king, but he started in the field. And he's drawing the picture of Jesus lying down in green pastures, number one. Two, leading me beside the still water. See, restoring my soul and lastly, leading me in the path of righteousness. Now, these all have metaphorical senses. I could tell long stories on each of those. We don't have the time to get into that. But just know that good green pastures are good. Steel waters are good. Restoring my soul, I'll take it, right? And leading me in the path of righteousness. It's a great thing. But then he takes this sharp 90-degree turn, right? And he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And this is where I want to dig in a little bit this morning. Thou art with me, your rod and staff, it comforts me. I think Dave is trying to draw the picture, and we all know this. It, it, no matter what, what's been sold to you, you know that even though you're a Christian, you're going to go through suffering, right? I've, as one man said it, he said, you're either coming out of a storm, you're going through a storm, or you're on your way to the next one. Life is filled with suffering. We're in a sin-filled world, It happens. Jesus doesn't make the promise that in following him that I'm not going to have suffering in my life. But he does make the promise that he is the good shepherd. So what I go through, he goes with me. If you actually think about the call to the gospel, uh, he says in Matthew 16:24, if you desire to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. In Mark 8:34, he says, give up your own way. If you want to follow me, you have to give up your own way. I think sometimes we, we kind of get to walk with Christ. It's kind of like a parade, right? We're sitting up there and we're just wave, doing our queen wave. And, and the music's playing and everybody's excited to see us. But it's not always that way. It's not always the, the, the honeymoon stage of our relationship with Jesus. I mean, we could literally pass the mic this morning. And we could each take a whole day probably. To tell the things of where the is attacking us, right? I mean, I sat in the hospital two weeks ago with my best friend. they would watch her pass away and, and watch her kids have to tell her goodbye. And in that moment, it's a tough moment. And in that moment, I wanted to ask, I can ask questions. But in the whole process, I looked at my buddy and he told me something very, we were getting in the truck and we were riding away a couple of days later and we were riding to, he was riding to work and he looked at me and said, Jacob, God's teaching me to trust in him. God showing me right now that I have to trust in Him. See, this is what the enemy wants us to do. It said that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. We wake up every morning. There'd be no reason to have Ephesians chapter six, verse eleven, where he says, put on the whole armor of God if it didn't mean that we were going to be in a fight. There's an enemy that comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. Now, here's the thing. At the end of it's already taken care of. The last part of John chapter 10, he says, no one can snatch you from my hand. No one. My my father is all powerful than anything else. So if if that's not what he's fighting at, what is he fighting us for? Why is the enemy come against us? I think there's two reasons. I think one is because when Jesus brings us into the fold and then we start to do his work, our part, There's a fulfillment that comes that can't be described. There's something about doing what God has called us to do. If you look at um, John 4, 31 through 34, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Jesus understood that in that ministry there is a, there is a nourishment that comes when I'm, when I'm doing the will of the Father. I like to think of it this way in Psalms 23 when David said, I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. And then he said, and then you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I'm going to go a little Pentecostal on my friend, how he shared it this year. But he said that uh, he likes to think that the, you know you're out there in the valley, your enemies are around you, obviously you're in the middle of the battle, you're in the middle of the struggle. And it's like Jesus steps on the scene and says, hold on, pause, wait a minute. And then puts a table out. And then puts a a nice, you know, medium, medium well steak, a baked potato with some bacon bits and cheese. Come on now. Sets this out and says, okay, we're going to pause the fight right now. And I'm going to make sure that my child is nourished. Enemies, you're going to have to, you're going to have to be at bay for a second. Let me take care of my child. So Jesus didn't say, and then the Psalms didn't say that Jesus is just going to miraculously take us away from all pain and trouble and sacrifice. But at the moment, when I feel even my weakest, it's then that he's closest to me. It's then that he's close to me and he's there and he's leading me because he's the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And that's that's part of, I think, our walk as a Christian is getting to the place where we are not focused on circumstance, but we're focused on the will of God. Can I get to, and I'm not there, I mean, look, I I could very well be sitting there and letting somebody else preach this message. I need it. We all need this. It's so easy for us to become distracted, right? I mean, most of the times, let's be honest, as humans, when something happens, when we go through something, we don't respond the right way, most of the time. Now, I'm not saying we're not supposed to grieve and we're not supposed to go through this process. No, we're supposed to. But most of the time, the enemy's main thing, he can't take me out of God's hand. Why is he fighting me? Because he knows that if he can distract me from fulfilling the will of God, that I'm not going to get the nourishment in my soul that only comes from me doing his perfect will. And then two, it's the, it's the other side, right? We, we, Jesus draws the picture of being the good shepherd. So guess what that makes us? The sheep. Have you ever been around sheep? (laughs) We'll just say it like a nice way of putting it is sheep are not very great at problem solving, okay? They get themselves into a mess. They'll fall upside down, get stuck, and they won't won't try to. They'll just stay there until somebody literally goes and picks them up. They'll buy their way up the mountain, get themselves backed up, can't get down, and need somebody to come get them. We're the sheep. And we get ourselves into messes, right? We, we go through things, and, and we, need, we need that constant reminding that Jesus is our Savior. I asked Jason, we were standing here a couple of weeks ago, and I said, hey, can you help me out? I'm going to ask you this question. Um, there's, both ways you, there's two ways you can look at this. There's scriptures to back both ways. I said, should we look at ourselves as a sinner? I'm a sinner. And Paul said, I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm saved by grace. Should I have that mentality, When I wake up in the mornings, or should I have the mentality that I'm the righteousness of God? And because he's adopted me, I have become an heir. I'm a king's kid. Which one should we do? And uh, Jason gave a very good answer. He says, I think there's a balance in both. We take both. One, I need to know that I am an heir and that the promises I can stand on. But I also need to be reminded that without Jesus, I am nothing. Without, without, his, without his healing, I'm, I'm nothing. And I'm going to get myself in a situation stuck in the mud on the mountain. And I'm going to need saving constantly because left in my hands, I will make the wrong choices. I need the Savior. And so the things about us being the sheep is, it doesn't just come out and say this, but I'm just, I kind of think about these things. But Jesus said he would bring them into the fold, but the fold was already there. The shepherds don't produce sheep. Sheep produce sheep. Sheep produce sheep. It's, it's part of like, okay, God brings us into the fold, and then he gives us a responsibility, right? Now I've, I've received this wonderful gift. God has, has graced me with this. And now I have a responsibility. My responsibility is to produce more sheep. What does that mean? That means telling my story. That's what this entire series has been about Every Sunday someone gets up and shares their story and in almost every one of those people's story there's a time and there's a place where someone By the power of the holy spirit someone called and invited us to church. Someone was praying for me See there's one thing like when I tell my story at work and I get this personal connection with the people I work with It's a great thing and it makes our work environment great, but there's an actual supernatural mystery that happens That's only by the Holy Spirit. When I share my story of the gospel and how Jesus brought me out of my sin, when I share that, there's a holy transaction that takes place because he said that one man plants the seed, one man waters the seed, but I bring the increase. I used to sell for Cook's Pest Control. I was a salesman, and uh, nothing's tougher to me than, than knocking on a door, sitting down at someone's house, and selling them pest control that they were not thinking about that morning when they got up. I come in and I have to, I have to, first off, I have to tell them they have a problem. And I can solve the problem. And now I need you to sign this contract for 1500 bucks to let us come and work on your house. That's pretty tough. The actual pressure and the stress that comes is trying to get the signature on the contract. That's the most stressful thing. And that's where we put the pressure on, Right. That it's gonna cost this much and this much and only $35 a month. Set the pin down. When would you like to start? And then you stop. And then you can just, man, you can just feel the pressure in the room. Because the next person that talks is the loser. The next person that talks is gonna be the one. If they say something, I've got anything rebuttal they got, I could come back with something. I was ready for them. This is the thing with sharing your story for the gospel that's a business sign. But I'm not necessarily selling something because I'm not responsible for getting the signature. At the end of the day, I'm not the one that's got to push the contract. That only comes from God. So the pressure is kind of relieved. Why, why do we, we, we take that weight on because of natural things where we've had to sell and get a signature? But when I'm giving my story, when I'm sharing the, 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 the glory of what God's done in my life, God is responsible for that. He's the one that comes behind me. Man, if I could just. If I could have sold at Cook's and had all I had to do was go in and tell my story, share everything, and then leave the contract and say, I got a guy that's going to be here in a couple of weeks. He's going to get your signature. No pressure. And be able to leave, man, I'd have been a great salesman. But that's what God's done for us. He's relieved the pressure of that and said, look, the work's not in you completing the contract with them. I'm I'm God. I'll do that. I just need you to share your story. I need you to step forward and, and give of yourself. People need to hear, and I think that sometimes you're like, well, I'm in the middle of this and I'm having, I'm, I'm, you don't understand my life right now and you don't understand what I'm going through. And I don't, I'm not going to try to put myself in your shoes 100%. But I do know that people in those moments, God can use those moments to still minister to people. And as I share my story and I don't have to worry about the end result, the contract, I can just share my story, even in my suffering, God can do something. I stole this story from Robbie Zacharias. If you're talking about storytelling, Robbie Zacharias is one of the greatest storytellers. Anybody know Robbie Zacharias? Okay. So Robbie told the story, and he said that uh, he had a very good friend that was, uh, and I'm going to call him Duke this morning because I couldn't remember his name, I forgot. So he's Duke. He had this friend called Duke. He was, he was Dutch. He's like six foot five, very big. He's a handsome man. He said, we were, he said they were in class together, and they became really good friends. Duke moved away to do mission work. And Robbie said it was just one of those guys that he continued to pray for. And he said, I was actually in his his country. I uh, flew into the airport, and he said, I went through security and everything. And he said, here comes Duke walking up to him. He's like, you think you're going to fly into my country and me not know about it? And Robbie's like, how do you know? He's like, I keep tabs on you. I watch everywhere you go. And so he says, I want to spend the night with you and... And Robbie had a speaking engagement the next morning, and he, he he goes and they go to the hotel, and he said he kept them up all night. And he said in the middle of the night, he said they got to that serious part of the conversation. And his friend looked at him and said, "They're coming after me. The mission work I'm doing here, they're they're coming after me." And I just want to let you know, I know that they're going to get to me. I just know in myself that they're going to they're going to get me. And uh, a couple of years later, Robbie was uh, after he had left, did the speaking engagement. He was reading a. Um, reading the magazine, and he saw that uh, Duke's picture in the magazine uh, of a memorial service they were doing for him. He had, uh, somebody had hired a mercenary to come after him. And he said, uh, a couple of months later, he's in a speaking engagement, and he said, there's this young lady that just keeps making eye contact with him. He said, so after the speaking engagement, he goes up to her, and he starts talking to her, and she says, hey, I'm Duke's daughter. And I just want to hear some stories about my dad. So he starts telling the stories of what happened and what her dad, what her dad had done for the work of the Lord and the mission work that he had done. And uh, she said, I want to go see his first church that he planted. So they, they, they fly her out. They pay for the trip. She goes out there and she's in the service. She's sitting beside this lady and this lady looks over at her and is like, you're not, you're not from around here. I'm, I'm assuming that's how she would say it. Cause that's what we say, right? You're not from around here. Who are you? And she, she tells her, she said, I'm, I'm the daughter of the man that started this church. And she said that the, the lady just immediately broke. And she looks at her and she said, my husband was the man that hired the mercenary to take out your dad. And when I saw him do that action, it drove me to Christ. And I left, I left my religion, and that's why I'm here today. And I share that story with you this morning, not to pull at your heartstrings, but to let you know that suffering does come. But in that suffering, God is a master, he has a master plan And he had weaved through her hurt and her pain, and he still brought out a blossom on the other end. So even though I may be be faced with things in my life that I may not understand, God can bring about the end result, right? So this morning, let's just kind of talk about this again. Jesus is the good shepherd. No No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, Jesus is the good shepherd, and number two, he said that he's the gate. And there's no middle ground with Jesus. It's either you're for him or you're not. I know that sounds tough, but, and, I don't, and I don't say that in a condemning way this morning. I really don't. But Jesus wants you to be for him. He said that it was his will that all should come. It says his father's will that all should come to Repentance. So if you're here this morning and you're, and you're not there and you're like, man, I want, I want this shepherd because I know my life's in a mess. Well, look, your life doesn't automatically just magically become not a mess when you have Jesus, but he's there and he's a good shepherd. And on the other end of that, maybe we're here this morning, we're on the other end and we're, I've been walking with the Lord for a while or, and, and you've been going to church and maybe maybe we're in a place where we've, we've become just a little bit stagnant. Maybe, maybe we're at a place where we don't see our responsibility of having to share the story. Maybe it's been so long since I've actually really realized who who Jesus was to me. I can tell you at a time in my life, I would go through things and and Jesus was not my first turn. I'd go and see what George Strait and Garth Brooks had to say about it. And I would kind of want to wallow in my mess, right? Something would happen and I I would, what was me? But really... I would have found my strength much sooner and I would have found the strength to stand and to face the enemy that's, that's fighting me if I'd have turned to Jesus first. So maybe you're there this morning. Wherever you are, he's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd and he can meet you right where you are. Amen. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you're the good shepherd God, you know us intimately. You know us each by name. And you've, you've brought us here. We're not here by coincidence, God. It's, 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 we're here because of you. And we ask, like, God, that wherever we may be this morning, God, that you will, you will meet us where we are. God, I pray that, that this morning we, you know, we want to give the opportunity, Lord. If, if the word has stirred, Lord, if you have stirred someone's heart this morning, God, like only you can. If you've done that this morning, I ask and pray that that we'll let you do your work in us. God, that we'll we'll heed the call. That we'll heed heed you calling us this morning. And that we'll follow after you. God, I pray for the ones that are here that maybe maybe we've kind of fallen out of touch a little bit. We've we've not really thought about our responsibility. We've not thought about reaching out to someone else and them knowing this good gift and this good shepherd. God, I ask that this morning that you'll give us strength. You know where we are, God. And I ask that you'll meet us there and that you'll help us in that. Lord, I also want to thank you, Lord, for just being a comfort to us. Lord, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of uh, pain that we're having to deal with right now, God. And only you can touch us in a way to give us peace in the middle of a storm. And I ask this morning, God, that those of us that are in the middle of of hurt and pain and suffering, God, that you'll be there and be that Comforter, like only you can. And then instead of us asking questions, God, we can just lean and rest in your presence. I thank you for that this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.